Good morning, everybody. Um, as we begin, I'd like you to take a couple of minutes to think about a time that you can remember where you have been desperate to get home. Um, I wonder what type of story you were sharing. I know there's definitely people in this room who could tell some nightmare travel stories where you're supposed to fly to one place and you end up somewhere 200 miles away. So maybe it's kind of the travel chaos. You, you should have been home hours ago and you're not yet and it's just really frustrating. Maybe it's the, I'm in a really horrible place. I know I've got a friend who was caught up in a natural disaster um, over in Indonesia and yeah, as you can imagine, was just desperate to be home again. Maybe your story was more of a, actually, I just really like being home. So um, where I am is fine, and actually it's nice to be here, but I'd rather be at home. Maybe that was it. Or maybe actually it was just, actually, there was, it was all familiar. I was Maybe you were in the place where you live, but actually you still felt there was something missing. You didn't quite feel at home, even though you might have been physically in the place you think of as home. And we're, we're continuing our newness of life series. So if you've been here over the past term, you'll have seen we've looked at lots of different topics. We've looked at a new heart and spirit, a new mind, new perspective, a new creation, and many more that I've probably missed out. Um, but today we're looking at a new home and the PowerPoint may have resurrected itself. Hooray. Um, thank you for those who rushed to Brian's aid and poked buttons and unplugged things and plugged them back in again. That's really helpful. So we're looking at a new home and um, that sense of being desperate to be home is something that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. Um, now, I don't know about you, but sometimes Paul's sentences get a bit overcomplicated. I don't know about you. Sometimes you're reading, you're thinking, where did this sentence start? So I did have a look at a few different versions of this passage, and I found there's a translation called the easy-to-read version. I thought that sounds perfect. So this is from the easy-to-read version of the, of the Bible, which hopefully just makes it a little bit easier to grasp straight off the bat, because we're not going to spend ages going into it. So let's have a look. So he says, We know that our body, the tent that we live in here on earth, will be destroyed. But when that happens, God will have a home for us to live in. It will not be the kind of home people build here. It will be a home in heaven that will continue forever. But now we are tired of this body. We want God to give us our heavenly home. It will clothe us and we will not be naked. While we live in this tent, we have burdens and so we complain. I don't mean that we want to remove this tent, but we want to be clothed with our heavenly home. Then this body that dies will be covered with life. This is what God himself has made for us. And he has given us the spirit as the first payment to guarantee the life to come. So Paul's trying to capture that sense of universal feeling of longing that, that we have. People across the world have this, there's something in us that there's a longing to be at home. And he's talking about God preparing something for us, this new body, this new home for us to live in when our earthly temporary bodies die and he's, and he's clear, he says, I think this is where he gets slightly convoluted in some of the other translations when he's talking about, I don't mean this, I mean that, I don't mean that, I mean this, and I, I get a little bit lost. But he's, so, he's not saying here that he definitely just wants to throw off his body and die now and, and be clothed with the heaven. He's, he's talking about having our current existence being 
in some of the other translations, it says swallowed up with life. So we're going to be thinking a little bit today about the, that longing for home. So I am a massive fan, as many of you know, of the Bible Project. If you haven't heard of the Bible Project, they are uh, a not-for-profit organization based in Se- near Seattle in America, and they spend their time trying to make the Bible accessible and understandable through using videos and other media. Um, and they're, they're just brilliant, and they're very good at putting whatever theme that, we're, that they're talking about, whatever passage they're talking about, in the context of the big picture of the Bible. Last time I spoke here, I actually showed the video, and I was really tempted to show some of the stuff today, and I thought, I can't just use that every time I, I stand up here. So I've instead just used some stills from their videos. So all these pictures that with these coloured circles are theirs, not mine. Um, and so to talk about our home... We need to talk about God's space and our space. So we're quite familiar with what our space looks like. It's the one on the right that says earth, and it's got the pretty mountains and the trees and the rivers. But it's in, through the Bible, it's, taught, it's called different things. It's called the world. It's called the um, age of sin and death. It's called um, the present age. And that is the, the physical dimension the space that we're we're very familiar with but the bible also talks about heaven it talks about a god space now that's slightly more mysterious most of the time it's mentioned in the bible it's in company with really strange imagery beasts with lots of heads and wings and eyes and goodness knows and it's partly because it's just a mystery and there's something otherworldly about it but the interesting thing about these spaces is they can coexist together they're like dimensions that can overlap So, at the start of the story, they overlap. So, whenever you see this kind of purple colour, that's their way of signifying the spaces are overlapping. And so, at the start, in the garden, they overlap completely. So, our space, where humans dwell and where God dwells, is the same. And that's how home is meant to be. It's meant to be a place where there is harmony between God and the people. There's harmony between the people themselves. There's harmony with nature. And that is a picture of home, as the Bible depicts it. But as we know, it doesn't stay that way very long. Um, The people decide that actually, maybe they can make a better home for themselves. God's laid out how home should work and what we should do to be part of that. But they, they choose something thinking, actually, maybe God's holding out on us. Maybe there's a way that we can make a better home for ourselves. So they reach out and they take that and they decide that they want to redefine what, it, what good and evil is and how, they, how they're going to live. So they get exiled from the garden and you see they separate. The two spaces are separate again. There's no overlap. And the people are exiled. And from that point on, exile becomes the human condition. From that point on, there's no overlap. And you can see already that nice purple color doesn't figure anymore. And so the home, the true home that God designed, isn't in existence. We're in exile. Now, fortunately, as we know and we move through the Bible story, we see that God's got a plan. And his ultimate plan is to reunite those two spaces. His ultimate plan is for them to come back together together 
so that his space and our space are not separate, but they overlap. And we are back home as he's designed it. And we see areas in the Bible where that, that is the case. You see God taking the step of creating a temple where he will dwell. And we see that in a couple of ways. So Moses, when the Israelites are uh, wandering in the desert, they build a tabernacle, so basically a big tent. And inside that is where a, a space where God's presence comes and dwells. And then later, when they've, um, when they've settled and they've built cities, and they build, Solomon builds this temple for the Lord. And again, the God's presence comes and dwells in that. There's some amazing Old Testament passages that talk about that try to put into words what it's like when the glory of God comes and moves in and is in that place. So, and that creates a nice little overlap in a specific place where God's space and human space can be the same. But there is a problem because God's space is full of his goodness, it's full of his presence, and our space is not. Our space is full of the consequences of our choices. It's full of sin, it's full of darkness. And so for that overlap to happen, for there to be the potential for people to move from their space into a space where God's space overlaps with them, there needed to be a sacrifice. Now, I don't understand the ins and outs of quite why an animal had to be sacrificed and how physically that all works. But the way it was set up was that an animal would absorb some of the sin of the people and almost clear a space that then the people could enter and be in God's presence. So they'd come, they'd bring their sacrifice to atone for the sins, and then they'd be able to go into the temple. And those of you who are familiar with how the temple worship worked, there was a space right in the center where God's presence dwelt, where the priest once a year could go in with a sacrifice on behalf of all the people. So the, the, a sacrifice had to happen for that overlap to be possible. But even though God had provided a way that people could be in that space, we see again and again and again that people wanting to define home for themselves, wanting to build it for themselves. We see them try to follow other gods. We see them um, not listen and follow what Father God is saying to them. We see... Um, the, yeah, trying all sorts of things. You just see cycle after cycle where God calls them back to know this is how it should be. This is how you should live. And maybe they get it right for a bit and then they go off in another direction. They go off on a tangent. And so they get sent into exile. And that's the sort of exile that we sort of would describe. If I asked you to define exile, I'm sure most of you would say it was being sent away from where your home is somewhere else. And so it's complicated there are there are multiple exiles if you look into the detail because at this point the kingdom is divided into two parts and the northern tribes get taken off first and then the southern tribes later and that's in a couple of waves but effectively they end up in exile yes i did put in another picture so again when they're in exile they haven't got that that overlap space at all they haven't got access to the temple. In fact, by the time the final exile of the southern tribes to Babylon happens, the temple's being completely destroyed. So it's not even existing in the world anymore. So they're off in separate places. Now, we'll come back to the idea of exile and what happened in that, that time a little bit later. 
But eventually, they get to go home, some of them. Some of them stay where, they, where they've been exiled, but many of them get to come back to Jerusalem. They actually rebuild the temple. But it's really interesting that despite the exile in, in the terms that we would think of, being banished from your home, well, they're back home now, so surely the exile's finished. But no, not really. That's what's really interesting. They're still under occupation. They've been sent home by the Babylon. Well, the Babylonian Empire that took them away have, has fallen, and the next empire that's come in has allowed them to return. But actually, they're still under occupation by that empire. And after that empire, there's another one, and another one, and another one. So actually, they're back in a, in their homeland, but they're not really at home. So the big question that that begs is: Is there any hope? of being home again. Thankfully, there's good news. The answer is yes. And the answer, in a very Sunday school fashion, is Jesus. Yay. So, despite it being the Sunday school answer, we can't underestimate how phenomenal the fact that the answer to that question is Jesus is. We're talking about a new home, but actually the way that that's achieved is by Jesus choosing to leave his home. We were singing it earlier in, in the songs at the beginning. Um, Light of the world, you step down into darkness. There was lots of language about how Jesus left his home and came to earth. And that overlap that had been missing returns. The space where humans inhabit and the space that God inhabits overlap again in the person of Jesus who is fully man and fully God. And he takes that out. He doesn't stay in one place like the temple. He doesn't say, here's the space of the overlap and you all have to come here. He comes out into the into the world, into humanity, into the mess. So now that red, ready, pinky circle is now kind of coloured in with the scribble of, that's representing the sin of the world. And he comes in and wherever he, he touches, he brings that overlap of human and God space. So we see that where he, um, he forgives sins so that, that disconnection and that conflict between people and God, he forgives sins and brings people back into relationship with God. The conflict of nature where there's storms, he can calm them. Where there's conflict between people, he can bring resolution and freedom. And even internally in, in individuals, where there's conflict within ourselves, he can bring release from that. And he talks about the kingdom of God, which is another way that the Bible talks about that um, heaven space, the God space, the kingdom of God, where things are as they should be. He says the kingdom of God is drawing near. And that's because he's there. And then we come to um, a passage in John's gospel. And it was really interesting. It was a really familiar passage. It's where um, Jesus talks about the Father's home, and we'll, we'll read the passage in a minute. But looking at the context, it was just so fascinating. So the chapter before this is, has been the Last Supper. He's been eating with his disciples before he goes uh, to the cross. So they eat their meal, and then Jesus says 
someone here in the room is going to betray me. Dun, dun. Everyone's really confused. What's going on? They're really worried. Is it me? And then Judas leaves to go and betray Jesus. Then Jesus moves on to another heavy topic and starts predicting that he's going to die. He's going to be handed over. He's going to die. And that's what's going to happen next. And he says the disciples can't go where he's going to go. But Peter insists, jumps in. He says, no, 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 I'm going to go wherever. Even if it's to death, I'll go with you. And that's when Jesus, Jesus says, well, actually, no, by the time the cock crows tomorrow morning, you're going to have denied me three times. And that's where this passage comes in. So imagine being one of the disciples, having all these bombshells. Someone's going to um, betray Jesus. He's going to die. And even Peter's going to deny him. And the start of the next passage, don't let your hearts be troubled. Isn't that wonderful? In amongst all of that, those big things that must be so confusing to the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So this passage, Jesus is clearly pointing again to the home that God prepares for us. And he's very clear that the way to get there is through him. There's no way that we can get into the, the place where God's space and our space overlap without Jesus. But it gives us such confidence, that sense that there's a place for me. We sang it in that first song. Great songs, by the way, Richard, at the beginning. Just like, yeah, perfect. There's a place for me. In my father's house, there's a place for me. It's not just there's a place for people, his people. It's specific. It's a place for me. God prepares a place for each one of us. And he also makes it clear that we can know the way. It's really easy. I don't know how you deal with not knowing the way to somewhere. Some people are very laid back about that and think, oh, we'll just sort of turn left, turn right, see where we get to. And others are like, no, I definitely want to know the way. I need the map. I need the sat-nav. But Jesus says we can know the way. We don't need to let our hearts be troubled about where we're going and what's, what's going on, how to get there, because we can know the way. And the context of this passage goes on. The next bit, the very next bit he talks about is the Holy Spirit. So again, we don't have to be troubled. We don't have to somehow conjure up the ability to suddenly know the way to do this. The Holy Spirit is given as a gift to us, to help us to know Jesus. And do you remember back in that Corinthians passage we read at the beginning? It said that God had given us the Spirit as a deposit and a guarantee of the promises that he's made to us. So it's the first deposit, the first guarantee that everything that he promises about the home is going to be delivered. I have no idea what my next slide is. It's blank. Oh, oh there we go. Excellent. Uh, so, 
what about now? Where does that leave us? So after that passage in John, Jesus goes to the cross. And like the temple, the cross involves sacrifice that then allows that joint overlap of space to be created. The cross absorbs sin and allows us to come to God. That's the way that Jesus is talking about. He's the way because he is the sacrifice that clears the way for us to come to God. And those little circles with crosses in, that's you and me. Did you know you're a purple circle? Um, That's us. As we put our faith in the cross, we become his people and we have his spirit in us. And actually, because we have his spirit in us, that's an area of overlap of God's space and our space. So wherever we go, we carry that overlap. We carry that, that sense of home as things are intended to be, where God and humans live in harmony. And we can have an influence then on the world around us because of what we carry. Now, I don't want to say too much about this next bit because next Sunday we're talking about the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth. But I, don't, I just can't leave the story unfinished today. So um, here's a bit from Philippians. So he's, he's talked a bit about people of, who, whose eyes are focused on this world and just get out for what they can get here. And he says, but there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. There's that heavenly body that Paul was talking about before. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he's putting everything as it should be under and around him. That's the destination. That's where we're going to somewhere where God himself is putting everything as it should be. Because we know, whether we're thinking the small picture of just ourselves and our lives and those around us, or we're looking at the grand scale of the whole world, we know things are not as they should be. And that's the destination where, I think I put in, we're back to one circle overlapping with both. And that's the picture in Revelation where the city, the new Jerusalem, comes from heaven and it tell, talks about the dwelling of God will be with his people forever. Come back next week if you want to find out more about that. So what do we do in the meantime? Because we're still back on that, that picture. Let me go back. We're still back here in the not yet So we know that that's where it's going. It's going to a place where God is going to make everything as it should be. And home will finally be a reality for us. And in Colossians, it talks about our lives being hidden with Christ. So part of us, as we put our faith in Jesus, part of us somehow is already hidden with Christ in God. We're already in that space. But we're also here. So how do we live in that tension Well, it's really interesting. I said we'd come back to the exiles. I wonder what you would think if you were the people of God and you were carted off to Babylon and suddenly you're in Babylon. And they do things pretty differently here. They have different gods. They have different clothes. They have different food. They have different way of doing things. What would you do? Would you withdraw? Would you kind of gather together in a holy huddle and say, actually, let's all... Just stick together, make sure that we remember where we come from and who we are. 
Would you resist? Would you say, right, this isn't on. We're going to take them on. We're gonna, we might not overthrow them, but we're going to fight for all we're worth. Would you try and fit in? Would you compromise? Would you conform to what they say? And it's really fascinating to think, actually, how would I respond in that? But in Jeremiah, we come across this passage that the prophet Jeremiah tells the people, this is how you should behave. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So Jeremiah doesn't say withdraw, resist, conform, compromise. He says, no, work for the good of the place that you are. And we see that with characters like Daniel, who gets involved in Babylon. He's one of the hierarchy. He's put to work in, uh, in government, and he's become someone that is relied on and is thought well of. And he works for the good of, of Babylon. But interestingly, he has lines he won't cross. So he has loyalty to Babylon and where he is, but actually it's still quite subversive because there are things he won't do. So when the king says, I've built a statue, you need to bow down and worship. Actually, there are people, there are Israelites in Babylon who say, no, we're not going to go that far no matter what it costs. Whether you put me in with the lions, whether you put us in the fiery furnace, whatever you do, we're not going to worship that. But there's a way of saying, this world doesn't define my identity. And yet I will work for the good of where you've placed me, God. It's resisting the temptation to try and build a false home for ourselves based on anything other than God's truth. That actually the only way is through Jesus. Again, the, the Bible Project and some of the things they've written, they talk about Babylon being now a symbol. In the Bible, it's, you know, sometimes it's referring to the actual place, but sometimes it's a, more of a symbolic idea that actually it's anything, any human institution that demands allegiance to its own definition of what's good and what's evil. So anything that we put up in our lives that we say, that has the right to dictate to me what is good and what is evil. That's where I go to to work out what's right. Anything other than God is a form of Babylon and it's the exile talking. It's the, actually, I, I think we can work out for ourselves what home should be like. We can create that here. So I've thought I'd, I'll end with just a few questions that hopefully God will prompt you to think about something specific. I'm sure you won't necessarily look at all the questions and think, oh yeah, that's what God's talking to me about. But I hope as um, we finish and have a bit of time to reflect and respond, that something that's on here will, will prompt you with what God's saying to you, particularly in your situation. So this idea of what is your 
Babylon? What, what false homes are you building? Are there things in your life that are set up to try and create that sense of home, but actually they're nothing to do with the true home that God has created and prepared? Maybe the challenge for you is more about, are you resisting, withdrawing or compromising where you are? Are there lines that you feel you might have crossed that you shouldn't have in terms of loyalty to God? Or are you, you able to express that subversive sort of loyalty that knows what's important, knows where the focus is, and yet you're able to work for the good of where you are? And where is your ultimate allegiance and how are you expressing that in your life? I think it's really easy to go through life and not really reflect, not really pay attention to what's going on, not really pay attention to what we're doing and how our actions put our uh, betray our real allegiance. We think we, well, we come to church on a Sunday and we think about God every so often. Maybe we pray every day at the beginning. But actually, how are you expressing your allegiance to God? If that's something, if that's a step you've taken and you say, yes, God, I'm for, for you. How is that being expressed in your life?